What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a, another episode of Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew Richardson. Appreciate you guys joining me for another weekly episode where I bring you great conversations with great people in the Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop gaming community and space. As always, I have a very awesome guest. We'll get to him in just a moment. We'll chat about some business first. As you know, the show is brought to you by my good friends over at awesomedice.com. They are purveyors of, you guessed it, awesome dice. So you can go there and get uh, whatever dice you're looking for for whatever game you're playing. They've got all sorts of crazy new colors. They were teasing to me the other day. They've got some really sweet looking sharp edged dice coming up. So if you are into that, make sure you keep an eye on them. Awesomedice.com. If you use the code ROLLPERSUASION at checkout, you save 10%. I get uh, a little support for the show. So everybody wins. Always appreciate that. And appreciate you guys getting more math rocks to, uh, to throw around. So awesomedice.com. We appreciate them on the show. You appreciate them in your games. It's a win-win for everybody. So make sure you check them out. You can, of course, follow the show on social media at Roll Persuasion on Instagram and Twitter. Always like chatting with you guys. So make sure you hit us up there. It's great to hear your feedback about the episodes, find out what's going on in your games, get suggestions on who we should talk to next. Make sure you give us a follow. And if you are an Apple user, please make sure that you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We very much appreciate it as it helps us beat the algorithm and get up in front of people so that more people can listen to and enjoy the show. Also, podchaser.com is a great place to go leave a review. Just search for us there. Rule for persuasion at podchaser.com. And now, without any further ado, let's jump into what you guys are here for, which is uh, to talk with awesome people in the D&D community. And I am very excited to introduce my guest today, James Intricasa. What's going on, man? Hey, hey, not too much. Not too much. Just uh Living in my house <laughs> for living, the... working, never leaving. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like like many people who should keep doing that. Uh, so uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for for joining, man. For people who might not know who you are, uh, who, who are you? Uh, so I am a game designer, blogger, and podcaster, uh, and I've worked with. Uh, Wizards of the Coast and Critical Role and uh, MCDM, which is Matt Colville's production company, and Roll20 and Cobalt Press and a bunch of other people uh, to make awesome games. So it's fair to say you are uh, you're pretty knee deep in the whole Dungeons and Dragons RPG world, right? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, definitely. I am close to, I would say, doing game design full time. So I'm also a freelance television writer and producer um and i write and produce tv commercials uh but uh i'm probably about 80 percent of my work is game design tabletop role-playing game design work and and of course what uh you mentioned critical role and wizards of the coast and what a, a lot of people might recently be familiar with you um for is the recently released explorer's guide to wild mount you were a writer on that project right Yes. Yeah, I was. I worked with a, a great team on that. Uh, so Matt Mercer uh, sort of led all of the writing. Uh, nobody worked harder than he did. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I got to write a, a significant chunk of the book along with Joey Hake and a guy named Chris Lockie. And then we worked with Hannah Rose, who edited all our work and stuff. And it was a blast, honestly. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where I feel like uh the hype of like, oh, cool, you get to work with Wizards of the Coast and Matt Mercer. Is this going to be cool? Like, can it live up to what it is in my brain? And uh, yeah, it, yeah, it exceeded it. And a, a lot of that has to do with Matt. Um, he really puts his money where his mouth is when it comes to like how he treats people and the exchange of ideas and that kind of thing. So it was great. That's awesome. Well, we'll definitely dive into some of that here in a little bit. How did you how did you get into gaming? Have you always been a gamer? Have you always been into D&D? Is it a recent thing? How'd that come about? Yeah, I mean, from the time I was a kid. So I have a very sort of prototypical D&D origin story, which is my parents' basement, my older brother and his friends playing. Right. Yeah. Some of his friends leaving early and they needed like a cleric. So I sat in and played somebody's character. Right. Like it's, everybody it's, needs a cleric. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I remember watching my brother play with his friend and it was the first time they were playing it was like a one-on-one -on -one game and i was allowed to watch they didn't want me to play right because i was the snot-nosed kid brother um and like my brain exploding because it was like sure, what yeah. is this game you can do anything like you can do anything you want you can do anything right and that was uh crazy so it started that way and then 
uh, one day, you know, that day that I filled in for the cleric, I had a couple other friends fill in as well. And one of my friends went home and told his dad, like, we played this game and it blew my mind. And he was like, oh, you know, I have a simpler version of this game that was called The Fantasy Trip, um, which okay. actually was just re-released. It's a precursor to GURPS that uh, Steve Jackson Games put yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I played that for years as a kid from the time I was like uh, 9 to 12 with a little bit of uh, second edition Dungeons and Dragons thrown in. And then once third came out, we switched over to D&D sort of full time. And uh, yeah, I've, I've basically never stopped playing uh, from the time that I was nine or ten. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I came to the game very late in uh, 2016, which oh, wow. I know, I know. And, and as soon as I started playing, I was like, I have been robbed of something my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, why did I not know? And I tell people uh, I had Margaret Weiss on recently and I was like, I grew up reading Dragonlance. Love mm -hmm. Dragonlance. Didn't find out till about three years ago. Dragonlance was like a and d thing. Oh, <laughs> and I was yeah. like, so I just missed the boat on it completely. So I always get a little jealous when I talk with people who have stories like yours. Cause I'm like, oh man, I, I should have had a basement. I was in the South. That's the problem. I didn't have a basement. And so that's how, <laughs> that's why I didn't have a, a way to discover the game. Totally. But you know, I wonder because you came to it later in life, did you, I feel like a lot of people pick up bad habits when they're kids because you're kid and you don't know any better. Sure, right? And then those last for a long time. Like I had some bad DM habits. I want to say well out of college, you know, into my twenties. And it took me a while to realize like, Oh, I should, you know, stop railroading players and ease up a little more. And right. So like in some respects, uh, I think it serves you to come to the game as an adult because you don't, you're not, hung up with the baggage of playing with your friends and giving them too many magic items and you know all that kind of stuff yeah that's that's a good point and and i came to it obviously too at a time when 5e had just come out so mm -hmm. as somebody who um you know did acting all my life and was really kind of into wanted to be into these games because of the role play element to come in at right. an addition which from what i've been told is very uh enabling of that perhaps more than prior editions and in my first, my introduction, when I was like, how do I play Dungeons and Dragons? An episode of Critical Role popped up because I, I don't know, they were like 20 episodes in at that time. And I, and I had Perfect. the same thing you talked about as a kid. I was like, I can do anything. They just did anything. I can do anything. So, so for me, it probably did happen, you know, at a perfect time in a, in a world and setting where not only uh, was there an addition that kind of catered perhaps to like how I like to play, but there's this advent of uh, performers and streaming and and people who are playing the game kind of the way that I want to play it. Um, so yeah, you know, it would have been fun. I've been playing for 20 years, but you know, I'll take the, I'll take the four I have. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think, like you said, uh, fifth is a really great game because the philosophies of game designs have, have shifted over the years, right? In third, right, yeah. when third came out, the philosophy was you want a game where you can do anything we need to write a rule for everything then so that you can cover it. Right. And so it was just met every sure. edge case was covered every yada yada. And now the philosophy behind game design is more create a broad set of rules that is very flexible. And therefore you don't need to know it as many rules because you'll be able to improvise and cover any situation right, that comes yeah. up because we can't possibly cover everything. Yeah. And that's what I tell people now too, because as, as many of us did, I was, early on very intimidated looking at the rule book trying to read through the player's handbook i mean like oh my god there's so much here and then i played the ver my first time playing was dming uh fan delver lost minds of fan delver oh, wow. and like after the first session i was like oh i don't need all this i mean like it's good to have but i was like i can just make shit up as i go <laughs> and and so like like really telling other people i'm like look i know there's a book and there are tables it's really not as intimidating as it might seem just play and do what feels right and you'll have a great game Wow. That, I mean, that is great. And it's, it's so the truth, right? Uh, I, I would love to, uh, I I've got to get you on my podcast cause I have so many questions for you about like your first time playing was DMing, which I think is not typical for yeah, people, I, right? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and what was that like? And what was going through your brain? That is hardcore jumping in with both feet. Uh, you really wanted to play yeah, if you yeah. were the DM for the first time. <laughs> yeah, no, let's do it for sure. I'd, I'd love to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll set it up after this. This yeah. is great. Sounds good. So 
So you're playing D and D your whole life. Um, you get into at what point did you kind of get into you know like like production and entertainment? Like you said, you've done stuff on like TV and, and different things like that. Um, when did that kind of start becoming an interest for you? Yeah. So before fifth edition came out, um, they had this big two year long public play test of D and D where you could get the rules and stuff. And I this is like sounds crazy to say now, right? But there weren't that many podcasts about it, uh, about like talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And there weren't that many actual play podcasts either. Um, And so I was like, I really want to I really want to hear a podcast that like covers what's going on with the D&D next play test all the time. Right. Like I I craved that content so much. Uh, I had set up a and d news alert and it would go off like once every two or three weeks. Right now, <laughs> yeah. I still have that same Google news alert and it goes ding, off. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, at least at least 15 times a day. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, I remember talking about it and talking about it. And my wife said to me, like, you know how to do all this production stuff, right? Your job is creating Uh, audio and video content you know how to do this would you ever make it and that got me thinking and so i talked to this guy named jeff greiner who was one of the only people at the time who had a podcast um and it's called the tome show it's still on yeah yeah. i'm familiar uh, with it yeah. yeah and so i wrote to him for some advice like how do i you know like i know how to make the files but how do you post them who's your hosting service that kind of thing what equipment do you use and he wrote back to me and said your idea for a show sounds really cool. Would you like to do it here on the Tome Show? And I thought, wow, built-in audience, like uh, a network, a show that I really like and believe in. Like, yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, wow. So for three years over there, I broadcast, uh, I had a show called The Roundtable that was a weekly news show, well, like a panel show where we brought people in and and talked about the D&D news of the day uh, and that kind of thing. And it was a blast. Uh, and then eventually... Uh, my friend Rudy Basso, who was on the roundtable a lot, and he had a show on the Tome Show Network as well. Uh, we sort of broke off on great terms with Jeff. We're still all friends. And uh, we started our own podcast network, the Don't Split the Podcast Network. Um, yeah. And uh, and now I do Tabletop Babble there, which is similar to the roundtable. Um, it's news, it's creator interviews, very similar to the show you're listening to right now. Uh, and, uh, and then we have a bunch of actual plays like Venture Maidens and Dames and Dragons uh, are on there along with uh, Dark Fortunes and Redemption, which is a Star Wars actual play. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of great stuff uh, on there and uh, it's snowballed. It's uh, <laughs> running a network is very different than having a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, I had Shane from uh, Total Party Thrill on as, oh, as one him. of my first guests because I'm, I'm a big fan of Total Party Thrill. And and so, yeah, I would definitely recommend, guys, if you are looking for um, just some good D&D podcasts, go to DontSplitThePodcastNetwork.com. Check out what they have going on because, like, like James said, they've got great actual plays. Um, they've got great kind of outside of the game, talking about the game stuff like Total Party Thrill and uh, DM's Deep Dive and Tabletop Babble. So definitely go check them out. But but yeah, uh, Total Party Thrill was was big um, kind of inspiration to me. I was like, these guys can start a show. They're really good. They've grown from where they are. Like, I should just, I should go ahead and do this. I've been talking about it for a year. I should do this. So <laughs> so it's cool yeah. that you get to, to have a network where you, I, I guess, kind of enable that for other people, right? So how does that work running a network? Like Like you said, totally different from just making your own show right yeah yeah so uh, kind of it all depends every network is different right um and i'm glad you brought up total 30 thrill because i love total party thrill as well and we had been uh rudy basso who is my podcast partner in crime and i had been courting uh total party thrill from the beginning we were friends with those guys before we started the network and everything um and we love shane and ishan and so we we really wanted to bring them in and eventually they uh they said all right fine (laughs) uh and and joined us um so we we kind of go about it in two different ways um so the the idea behind the network for us uh is that we wanted everybody to have uh, create our own stuff um, so, you know, if you, uh, came to us with a podcast and, and we made an agreement and we hammered something out, um, you own that podcast. If you decide to leave the network, all of the episodes you've made are yours, right? You can do okay. whatever you yeah. want with them. We don't own that. 
you own the merchandising rights, you own your Patreon. So any sort of monetary stream that comes from those kinds of things, those that's all on you. The work is all on you. Um, some other networks are a little different, right? They'll say, we'll help you merchandise, but because we're helping you and putting our time in, right? Right. And, yeah. and giving we'll you resources, we'll take a cut of that. You'll take a cut of that. Everybody wins. Um, what we do is we share advertisers so we can go to sponsors on the network and say, look, we're selling packages that you can buy across right, the network. Yeah. So you get to be on Venture Maidens and Dames and Dragons and Tabletop Babble and Total Party Thrill, right? Um, and then we also cross promote. So we everybody makes promos and we cross promote uh, that way. And then we do a lot of uh, advertising for our shows on social media and updating of the website and that kind of thing. Um, we do occasionally try to like coordinate crossovers on actual plays and you know, Shane and Ishan have been guests on total, uh, or on tabletop babble, uh, often and things like that. Um, Mike Shea, Sly Flourish online, who has the DMs deep dive, uh, on our network. Right. So, um, and so there's two ways we've acquired shows to join the network. The first is like, we talk to people that we like and, and ask them if they want to join and see if we can come to some sort of agreement about how, you know, the, the mode of work and, yeah, and yeah. arrangement of schedule and advertisers and things like that will work. Right. Um, the other thing that we have done is we have reached out to some people and we've helped them make a podcast. So we did that. Mike Shea, we did that for um, Lisa Penrose, who has the behold her podcast, mm -hmm. which is yeah. a very good uh, interview uh, chat show where Lisa talks to women and non-binary folks in the uh, gaming industry. Um, it, we came to Lisa and said, like, Lisa, have you ever wanted to do a podcast? If so, tell us, like, how can we help you make it? Um, because right, we yeah. just, you know, love Lisa so much and all of the work that she does in the community. So um, so there's sort of two different ways we have come about that. But in both cases, uh, even though we helped Mike and Lisa create their shows, they are the owners of those shows. If Mike wants to take the DMs deep dive off the network and do something else with it. He's he can totally do that, you know, and the same thing. If Lisa wants to take behold her and do something else with it or merchandise it or whatever, that's all her. So that's our philosophy. Yeah, um, yeah. and, and so we're sort of, uh, for, as far as podcast network go, we're pretty hands off. Like we're pretty much like make your thing, you know, we'll help you if you need help. We've helped people get out of some legal scrapes and stuff like that, too. Uh, very. It sounds way more traumatic than it is. It's not. <laughs> well, that's that's really cool. And and, you know, my my perception of podcast networks might be somewhat skewed just because my my focus on the things I listen to tends to be pretty narrow. But but it mm -hmm. seems like there are a lot of there are definitely a lot of people out there who seem like they want to have a podcast network. Um, or mm -hmm. who say like, oh, we're a podcast network, we've got shows, but the shows don't publish or they don't really do anything with it. And and the things you're talking about is, is something I, as a consumer, have definitely seen as far as the consistent promotion and supporting of creative and, and stuff like that. So it, it's cool to see something outside of, uh, uh, what's, what's the McElroy's, the... Um, oh, the Maximum Fun, Yeah, right? Maximum Fun. Like, that's mm -hmm. the only other one that I know of where I'm like, oh, they seem to be doing that well. So in my mind, you're up there with Maximum Fun, so oh, well thank done. you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a high compliment sure. Uh, for sure, for sure. And that's, you know, we did model ourselves off that because we like that. And, um, you know, yeah, one thing yeah. we like to do is, and you know, right, as a creator of content, you know, like the thing that propels you forward is the consistent creation of content. Right, yeah. Um, it's more important to get something out than to get something perfect. Uh, and so we sort of help creators do that and we'll often say like, hey, it's, you know, like you, you missed your episode last week. What happened? Can we help you? Um, you know, what, okay. what do you need from us? Because we want to see you succeed. And we know that if you're not consistent with your episodes, it's a problem. Right. And it's yeah. a problem, too, for our advertisers and for other people like that. But mostly it's a problem for you as the creator that yeah, you don't yeah. have stuff. Yeah. What was it? So what was that like for you when you first started podcasting? Because I think I read a stat or, you know, it was on the internet. So somebody probably just mm -hmm. made it up. It was something like your average podcast doesn't make it past seven episodes. It's something that I've seen oh, wow. pretty frequently out in the world. And so that was something personally I had in mind. I, I recorded six episodes before I even launched. Cause I was like, I want to right off the bat, I want to beat the statistic, <laughs> but right. it's definitely for, I, I think for anyone who does it, it can be a struggle to do that consistently. So what was that like for you when you first started your own show? 
Yeah, I don't think so. I wish I had known that. And we tell new podcasts uh, on the network to do that now to do exactly what you're talking about. Like put podcasts in the can before you launch have because you never know. Yeah. uh, yeah. Life's going to get in the way. Right. And, And you'll feel more secure if you have a month, two months worth of stuff that you can put out. Um, so for the round table, we put out the first episode, uh, and it took me like a long time to edit and, you know, uh, figuring out like the, the audio software, even though it was something that I did pretty normally for my job, it was like, Oh, what I do is very different than editing yeah, a conversation yeah, sure. between five people. Right. Um, and so, so I was putting it out. And when I put it out, uh, the big thanks goes to Rudy, who was like, Hey, we need to like, we, I know you just put this out and immediately publish this one, but we need to get that, get on the next one. And then we need to get on the one after that. And we need to, you know, and he sort of hammered that home and it was like, Oh yeah, we really should be putting out one of these a week. If we're going to be a topical news show, we need to be topical and we need to cover the news. Um, and so it was a, it was definitely a shock. Like I went from, uh, I, I had, out of college, I had done like a lot of uh, theater and and things like that. And then I had moved around a bunch for TV work. So I didn't have any sort of connection to theater. And I was just like living it up. Like, yeah, look at all these video games I'm playing and books. And <laughs> right. All of a sudden, all of that time was sucked up by podcasting and also by blogging. Um, because because I was fortunate enough to have the built in Tome Show audience, I thought like, oh, I should do something with this, right? Like I should turn this into something for me. And I had always wanted to get into game design, you know, from the time I was a kid, I had said like, oh yeah, I want to write D&D books, but I'd never really done anything like that. Um, And so I was inspired by like Mike Shea and Enrique Bertrand, the new BDM. And I thought, okay, so if I have this podcast, I can point people to this other thing and say like, look, I, I make monsters and I make dungeons and stuff like that. So... Uh, so yeah, so that was, uh, how that went. And, and then again, the blog needed to have consistent content. Right. And so I was like, Oh, I gotta get the blog post up. Oh God, I gotta do this. And I hadn't built up any library of either. Uh, and I really wish I had. Well, and speaking of the blog, which is uh, worldbuilderblog.me, correct? Uh, yes. And also .com now the, the, uh, the previous owner of .com was nice enough to say when they were done with the website, like, Hey, I'm not using this anymore. Would you like it? And that was very kind. That's nice. I've been trying to get my, my Andrew Richardson.com for about 12 years. And, uh, Ooh, I think it's just yeah, going to be a, a hard game one until the owner dies. So, yeah, <laughs> so we'll have to. yeah. <laughs> you need to have a last name with too many vowels, yeah. like Andrew Castle. Oh, see, there you go. I'm just, I'm just going to change my name and that'll be, that'll be my solution. But, uh, <laughs> but on the blog for the last few months, you've been doing a thing called my dad's monster manual. Um, which is always yes. kind of entertaining for me when, when I see you put new stuff up on it. So, so tell, uh, for people who aren't familiar with it, tell them, tell them kind of what this is. Yeah. So this started as a, a dumb tweet. Uh, I like as the best this, things I, in life do. <laughs> it is. And, and the worst things sometimes. True. Also true. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I, I had this idea where I was like, ah, oh, this will be a funny tweet, right? Where I said like, uh, what if I took all the art from the monster manual and showed it to my dad and asked him to describe and name the creature? And then I rewrote the monster manual doing yeah, that. Right. Yeah. And then people like went nuts. It was one of my most popular <laughs> tweets ever. Uh, and I thought like, Oh, I should, I should probably do this. Right. And then I had a poll. I was like, let me be sure. Let me just be extra sure and i said should i do this and then that was more popular than the than the tweet itself that had spawned it so i thought okay i uh i need to do this and i um what's really been interesting about doing this is my dad is not a he's not like totally uh fantasy inept right he loves lord of the rings he loves uh the hobbit right he he read those to me he's a big part of why i'm into fantasy um uh, he's not like a sports guy at all you know he's he's into nerdy stuff um and so what happened was like i thought we're gonna sit down i'm gonna show him beholder he's gonna call it like the eye guy and like it's gonna be one dad joke after the next and it's really turned into he's very thoughtful about it and he like kind of understands 
he doesn't play D&D, right? But he understands, like, a, there really needs to be a story behind each of these creatures. And, um, and so it's turned into, like, some really, and again, funny and unexpected is definitely a big, big part of it. But also, like... Oh wow, this was this was really thought out and original and something I never would have come up with on my own. Um so I think the the very first post uh is all about the beholder, right? Um and I showed him the, the beholder and he said this is a softball sized creature, right? Like the size of a grapefruit yeah. and it rolls around on the ground, right? It didn't occur to him that this thing Just would like float levitate, and fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh and you know, it, it kind of went from there that they're like almost like gremlins from the movie gremlins. Like they like to cause mischief and uh, get into trouble and they're practical jokers. And, and so it's like, wow, you took one of the scariest and most alien monsters right, in yeah. D and D and turned it into a joke. <laughs> uh, and so it's, it's been really fun and it's been kind of one thing after another like that, like, Oh, this is really unexpected. You know, he, he uh, size is one of the things that has been, interesting to me right like you and i we look through the monster manual and we know how big an owlbear is right, we know yeah. how big a spine devil is right uh, he has there's many of these pictures have no reference yeah, there's there's no them. banana for scale there's nothing to like let you, yeah. let you know how big it is yeah <laughs> and so there are things where it's like yeah uh you know like he said the bone devil was an undead pixie because he doesn't know how big a bone devil is right and it it has a very kind of fine look bone like structure. Yeah, like I, I read that and I was like, oh, that actually, you know what? That makes kind of sense. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's that kind of thing. There's one uh, probably that I'll be doing either later in April or in May. Uh, the Lemur, which is like the lowest level devil challenge rating zero right, yeah. that you can have. Um, and the picture looks like this like pile of goo that sort of forms a vague person shape, right? Um he was like, oh, this is obviously a mountain. This creature is the size of a mountain, right? And so, and then it presents a really interesting design challenge for me sure, because yeah. I, to, to be true to the project, right? I have to go with what my dad says, but then I'm like, what? So what is, what is this? Like a 2000 foot melee reach this creature right. has, you know, like I don't, uh, so it's, it's presenting some interesting challenges that I are, are fun to rise to. And I think, uh, are God bless the play testers who send feedback and stuff on this because it's very helpful. <laughs> well, and what a great way to, to kind of provide, um, a catalyst for you, like you said, to, to really dig into the game design stuff, right? Because I, I think a lot of people struggle with self-motivation, especially when we're, we're kind of like self-employed creatives. We're like, okay, well, I'm just going to sit down and write a bunch of monsters. Like, okay, you need something to drive you, inspire you. And it's cool that you've got like your, your dad essentially doing that. Like, yeah, you're going to make some fun blog posts and there's like humor and, and all that stuff. And I, I think you're going to put it in a, a PDF or something eventually. Yeah, but it's also providing this great way for you to continue honing your own skills and give you a reason, a consistent reason to keep doing that versus like sitting down and being like, I guess I'll rewrite the monster manual. Um, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And it's a great way to, you know, I, I kind of get a, a fresh perspective. Right. And uh, for me as a creator, um, ideation can be hard. Right. It's like, cool, I need to think of 15 new spells and it's always right. those last five that are like a struggle, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, cool. These these first 10 came very quickly. And the last five took twice as long because I was like, sure. I just can't think of a cool magic thing that hasn't been done yet or hasn't been, uh, you know. And, and with this, I have the luxury of it's probably going to end up being about the, the final product um, will end up being probably about like 90 monsters because there are things like. Like I said, my dad's a fantasy nerd. I'm not showing him orcs and goblins yeah, and dragons yeah. because he knows what those are. <laughs> so, um, you know, he would say that's a dragon and it breathes fire and it flies. And right. right? Yeah. Um, but uh, so I'm sticking to sort of the the weirdest of the weird. Uh, and even then you get about 90 creatures out of it. So it's fun. That's awesome. Well, speaking of game design, um, as we kind of teased it at the beginning of the show, the Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount uh, recently came out. Um, I've read it. I, I assume many of us has a, have out there. How did that 
project come about? How did you get contacted to be a part of it? Let's just spend like three to seven hours talking about that, <laughs> that whole thing. Oh, I could, I could. So, um, so the very first paid job I had in game design, uh, there's a magazine called, uh, it's, it's like through Patreon. It's a Patreon magazine that, uh, EN world puts out. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. and it's called Insider. Uh, and the S is a five, like the numeral five. Uh, right. and it's all fifth edition content that they put out. And so my first job was, I, uh, submitted an article about, uh, running chase scenes, um, and it was accepted. And the person who accepted it was a guy named James Hake, uh, who, yes, yeah, yeah, you probably writer for know D beyond, right? Yeah, exactly. He's the lead writer for D and D beyond. And he's also, he's a freelancer for wizards of the coast. Um, so he gave me that job and I was like, wow, this guy is amazing. And then I talked to him and he was like 18 and a freshman in college. And I was like, what have <laughs> I done with my life? Uh, cause I was at the time 28, right? right and I was yeah. like, my whole life is gone. Um, so he and I have, uh, through that have become friends. And then we've, you know, we've met at conventions and we've continued to work together. The very first project, uh, I worked on for wizards of the coast was Waterdeep dragon heist. Uh, and he was the other freelancer on the project. So it was me and him and Chris Perkins and a bunch of other Watsy staff, Adam the, Lee. The exact campaign I thought of when you mentioned that you wrote an article about chase scenes. Yes, there's a, there's yeah. a pretty good chase segment in there. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We we joked about that, right? Like it was like, whoa, this is coming full circle. Full circle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh and so he was uh he was an intern at Geek and Sundry when the first Taldore guide was being written and he already had his job with insider and I, somebody knew, right. Somebody knew that he had that and said, Matt Mercer needs help writing a D and D book. We know you write D and D stuff. Yeah. Can you help him? Um, and so he had a relationship with Matt Mercer cause he worked on the Taldore guide that came out from green Ronin press. Um, and so, uh, so when this book was staffing up, Matt, like immediately reached out to James Hake and said, I loved working with you last time. Let's work together again. And then said to him, uh, and we need to write a lot very quickly. So I don't think I, we need to bring in some more help. Uh, and Joey recommended, uh, I'm sorry, James's middle name is Josiah and he goes by Joey sometimes. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. So often when he's on a project with me, he gets called Joey. Cause I am also James. There are a lot uh, of James in the, in the D and D world. There, yeah, there's a well, because there's a lot of white guys in the D D world. So <laughs> That's true. A lot of Matts, a lot of Chris's, right? A uh, right. couple of Andrews. Uh, <laughs> um, but so he, uh, yeah, so that was uh, uh, thanks to uh, James's recommendation. Uh, I was brought on board, and I had interviewed Matt for my show. So like, I wasn't he wasn't totally unfamiliar with me or the sure, fact that yeah. I had worked on Dragon Heist. Um, so that's how it came about. Um, and I was not. At the time, uh, uh, Critter, uh, I had listened to, I'd seen some episodes of Critical Role. I had watched Matt do like Force Gray and stuff like that. I liked Matt, uh, and I loved what Critical Role was doing for the community, yeah, but I yeah. was like, oh, I better phone up on this quickly. So thank you, uh, times two podcast speed. Uh, <laughs> and now I, I like every week I still listen, right? I don't need yeah. to anymore for, for work, but it's. God, is it a great show? It's like what the, the, the ideal. First, uh, the first hit is free, and yeah, then uh, yeah. a nice reel you in. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it is. I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, like, uh, somebody with a theater background. I think for many people, it is what the ideal game of D and D is. Right? It is. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. An hour every single, or it's four hours every single week. Everybody pretty much shows up, and they're all. Yes, they're all amazing at voices and funny and stuff like that, but they're all so emotionally open with each right, other. Yeah. And that's the secret sauce is that they're like willing to take big risks because they know Everyone their friends are going to catch in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was um, that was how it kicked off uh, was was that's how I got roped in. And um, and Matt basically said, like, here are sections of the book that I already have written because he sort of knew it was coming. He knew he was going to make something for wild mountain. He wasn't sure, sure. With who or where. Um, and he said, here's what I, here's what I would like 
you all to work on. And then here are things that I'm writing like anybody can pitch in. Uh, and it was fantastic uh, because he was willing to hear every single idea. And it, like many, many, many crazy ideas made it into the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and any, uh, any in particular stick out to you? So, uh, so a big part for me was I worked on the ISIL cross section of the gazetteer, yeah, which is yeah. like a bunch of frozen islands. Um, uh, and, uh, there is, I, I pitched to Matt all kinds of stuff for that. And most of it's in there. So I said to him, like, I want to do a village of intelligent yetis. Um, and right. like that, that are, you know, sapient and, and refined and, uh, uh, and they're like secretive because they don't want other people to know that they're intelligent. Right. And he was like, cool, let's go for it. Uh, and so that is in the book uh, that made it through. Um, there's a place in Isocross called Mutalos, um, which changes uh, its environment yeah, every day. Yeah. Uh, there's a giant river of lava uh in isocross uh which and you know like these are just things that i pitched uh to matt uh chris Lockie and hake and everybody was doing that um so uh yeah so i a bunch of the isocross stuff that is weird and wild um were things that i pitched to matt some of it is from matt's brain um like the idea of uh the the tomb of the worm uh mm -hmm, right yeah. that's that's a matt creation that he sort of like was like here's what i think is going on here right and then i i took that and ran with the details um but uh yeah so so stuff like that there's a you know matt mercer's fingerprints uh, are all over and in everything um but then in addition to that, I got to some of the lesser idols that are in the book. So, right, everybody knows Ukatoa obviously, right. is in Ukutoa. there. Um, uh, but there's some other ones in there that were uh, my uh, that were were from my brain and Matt approved. So uh, one is the the arms of the betrayers, um, yeah, which yeah, yeah. are uh, all of the sort of. Uh, sentient uh, weapons that everybody worked on who touched this book. Um, but that was something that I pitched to Matt. I was like, you know, you've got these betrayer gods. What if they have, you know, these artifact weapons that are everywhere? And then he was like, yeah. And he pitched to me like they could be vestiges of divergence. Right. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's cool. So, right. Like that's uh, building that way. And we had a meeting every week um, where we would, you know, basically pitch ideas and talk about what we'd worked on. And uh, it was great. It was really, really fun. So, um, so yeah, there's stuff all over a couple spells, a couple monsters, um, the hooks throughout the gazetteer. We all worked on in every section, uh, a couple gods, uh, things like that. So, and then the frozen sick, uh, adventure, which is, um, uh, weirdly timely and maybe not a great one to play if you're super stressed out by all sure. this coronavirus <laughs> stuff. Right. Uh, it's also another one that I worked on. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So, so what is it like? And, and you've got quite a few credits on different, you know, wizards books now, but what is it like for you? Anytime a book gets published and you flip it open and, and your name is in there. It's surreal still. Uh, it's a, it's a hard thing for me to uh to believe and it is just as exciting the first time uh you know or now as it was the the first time and it is um it's it's like an honor right like it's like wow sure, this yeah. is so cool to to have your name in the credits page of a a D, &D book is great and and the experience of working on the books uh is really good i've worked with a lot of different members of the team. I've worked with Chris. I've worked with Adam Lee, Chris Perkins. Uh, I've worked with Jeremy Crawford. Um, I worked with uh, uh, F. Uh, Wesley Snyder uh, on the Theros book that's coming out. So like, um, and each one of them has like their own different style of working and every project yeah, yeah. has its own deadlines and stuff. Uh, and uh, it's every single one of them is fun and open and, uh, really like wants to make the best thing possible and they're willing to they're willing to break the format and change things up in order to make something interesting which is great it kind of parallels it sounds like a little bit with what we just said about like the cr cast like everyone shows up and you, and you trust people to show up and, and give their all to make something really cool and that, that kind of sounds like what you're talking about working with these people making this content you know that everyone's going to show up and 
and put their A game out and everyone's going to have each other's back. Matt's going to be like, oh yeah, your idea, cool, what about this? And and uh, just kind of that really great collaborative. I, I think what every creator hopes for to have in like a collaborative creative environment, I think we've all experienced the the bad side of that where it's like, oh, you know, yeah. ideas are being crushed and there's ego and and it's just like a, a frustrating place to be. And then the freedom of the flip side of that, of being in a place where ideas are enabled and people are encouraged and there's true collaboration, that's, that's got to feel great. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, right? And, and you, again, hit the nail on the head, right? There's, uh, in creative situations, particularly when you're dealing with like a corporate property, right? You can get into these situations where it's like, no, no, we don't do that. Sorry, that's not yeah, a thing we do no. or, or whatever it is. Um, uh, I could sit here and tell you television stories like that all day. Uh, but the, there, uh, the fact that wizards of the coast, uh, particularly the D and D team is not like that, right? Like they want to think outside the box. They want to have fresh ideas, uh, I think is great. Um, you know, and obviously there's somebody managing all that and filtering all that. And I can't come in and be like, what about unicorns that fart rainbows? Right. Um, <laughs> right. and, uh, uh, but, uh, I think that they're they're really good uh, creative leaders um, there who are good at uh, like bringing ideas together and putting them into these amazing packages. That's awesome. So talk for a second, if you can, about Chris Lockie. And, and I say this because I think if people who are into Critical Role, um, you know, who kind of follow stuff, you know, know that Chris puts out the photography and the photos and a lot of the stuff they do there. Um, if you follow him on Instagram, he, he just, he shares cool content and he seems to have a really cool aesthetic. And I, I met him for all of 12 seconds once and seemed like a nice guy, but, uh, I think this was kind of his first project, right? So, so just tell me about Chris, talk about Chris. Yeah. Chris is one of the kindest, uh, and, uh, and hardest working and most creative individuals like you'll ever meet um so he is uh like you said nice guy doesn't even begin to describe like how uh kind and again uh much like the members of of cr the cast members of cr he's very open and honest and stuff um and he uh he always came with like bizarre amazing dark ideas like that was my assumption yeah 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 he's like um He's like metal and uh, and what he comes up with. And so he has worked on a lot of Cobalt Press stuff uh, right, yeah. before and after um, Wild Mount. Um, and his stuff is always like ghoul related or undead or dark. And he worked on the Blightshore section of the book. Uh, again, among other things, right? We were all sure, working yeah. in different uh, aspects. Um, and Blightshore is like this magically messed up <laughs> shore that has all of these weird and terrible things and uh it's where the hollow one uh race comes from of like you've died on the shores of plight shore and you've risen again um but it's so funny coming from him because he's like such a sweet guy with a huge heart uh, and then it's like, yeah, and I thought of this thing and, you know, there's tentacles coming out of a brain and worms <laughs> are eating it. And, and right. you're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what is? It's like, you know, he's, he's pent up all of this, uh, evil inside him that comes out when he gets creative. Um, so, uh, oh, but he is just a sweetheart who works super hard and is a great collaborator. That That's super cool. And, and it's cool to see. I think the the snowball effect, um, like looking at some of your credits, I think is similar, like, okay, like early on, you know, um, independent press stuff and then more and more Wizards of the Coast. It, it, it's cool to see, again, as a consumer, see names like, oh, pop up once, be like, oh, this I haven't seen this name before. And then it's in another book and they're, mm -hmm. then they're doing more stuff and then you get a sense for their style. Um, it, it, so it's cool as as somebody who enjoys D&D &D and plays D&D &D to kind of get to see something that I've grown to love evolve with different creators who are bringing their own touch to it who are bringing you know that the dark ghoulish metal or um you know elaborate storytelling and kind of get to watch the product and the brand grow through through these different creative efforts it, it, it's just cool it's fun yeah yeah it really is it's it's a great thing to uh to see and it's a great thing when you know there's a lot of good people out there good designers who are 
uh, all sort of their their stars are all rising now because fifth edition is entering its uh you know it's i guess sixth year here right is that right 2014 is when it can yeah so uh so yeah it's you know entering its sixth year and it's reached so many people and now you're starting to see all kinds of great products on kickstarter and uh yeah there's just there's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming out for this game uh in the years to come and it doesn't show you know like i I don't see any sign of sixth edition coming right down the pike anytime soon so this is great yeah let's take a quick second uh to talk about one of my other show sponsors and we'll get right back with more questions for james Um, you guys know who i'm going to talk about it is talon and claw they are the makers of just really really beautiful handmade wooden accessories for your games if you want a dice vault to keep your fantastic gemstone dice in they've got you covered with all sorts of awesome hardwood bloodwood purple heart uh, walnut, you know, all, all the beautiful things you love, they will take care of you and take care of your dice. They also make DM screens. So if you're looking for something special for that uh, DM of yours in isolation to cheer them up, a awesome, fantastic hardwood DM screen is probably the way to go. Check them out, talonandclaw.etsy.com. So they are also working on their pre-orders for their very special wooden dice, D20s, and full dice sets. You should go check them out. I've ordered five, or I don't know, I actually have one in front of me Right now, I have their sandalwood D20, and it is beautiful. I'm so glad they sent this over to me. I'm going to share it with uh, another awesome member of the community here very soon. But if you want to check that out, go to shoptalonclaw.com. You can get in on the pre-order, check out their awesome dice. And if you use the code ROLLPERSUASION on their Etsy shop or the dice pre-order, you save 10% and you help the show. So I love their stuff, you love their stuff, and we all love rolling dice. So make sure you check them out. Big fans of Talon and Claw. They've been guests on the show. I chat with Anthony over there all the time. Good people. Make sure you support them. And thank you to them for helping support the show. So jumping back in with you, James. And by the way, uh, you play. Um, they told me, Talon Claw did, that if you want a dice vault, they will send you one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're so kind. They will hook you up. So we'll, we'll talk after the show and we'll, we'll figure out uh, what kind of wood and design you want. And we'll get you hooked up. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's what we do on the show. We, we It's like Oprah over here, except at cars, I give away dice faults. So <laughs> even um, better. I don't need a even, car. Really legitimately. Who, who wants a Prius when you could have something to put your dice in? <laughs> so uh, a question for you that came from one of my awesome Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. If you want to support, support the show uh, from my buddy, Bill, he asks, how do you go about building onto an already established world without feeling like you're stepping on the creator's toes? especially one so widely known as Matt Mercer's Exandria. Yeah. So the great thing about working on wild Mount was that Matt was there. Right. Um, and so, and, and literally was approving everything we wrote. So, uh, it, it was very obvious if we were sort of stepping on toes, right. He would say, and he was extremely open about like, these are the things I would, you know, that, that, uh, I would like. And, you know, if something like was like, oh, that's not what Wild Mount is, right? That's not what Exandria is. Sure, yeah. He was able to sort of uh, do that. Now, luckily, all of us had kind of a deep knowledge of the show. I probably had the shallowest, right, coming in, and I I tried to bone up as quickly as I could. Um, so we we had a good feel for that. Uh, I think the the biggest thing, right, was having those weekly meetings and check ins. So if you have access to sure, the creator, yeah. um. Uh, being open and honest and creators out there who have worlds when you invite other creators in make sure you are open and honest with them and encouraging them right that that's a huge one um sometimes uh so like when i worked on eberron uh rising from the last war uh i i had access to keith baker um but not as much right like we weren't having weekly meetings and keith was writing all of his parts of the book and, and doing a lot of stuff. So he wasn't as accessible as Matt was. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of that came from like really getting to know the world, right? Reading old Eberron books, uh, reading the materials that are sent to you, right. That say like, this is what the forgotten realms is, right? That's a, that's a great example because we're all writing in the realms on the DMs guilds. Uh, and, uh, Ed Greenwood, you know, it's, it's grown beyond him. Right. And, and so how do you contribute? And, uh, and so I think if you can read and immerse yourself in what is out there, you get a feel for like what the world is and, uh, 
and then you 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 start to know where the lines are right like if you and i sat down um we could probably determine what is and is not a star wars story even though uh we have never uh gotten like a style guide from star wars or sat down and talked to george lucas or kathleen kennedy right like we sort of by the way we can do that because i got fucking opinions (laughs) about what is and isn't a star wars and what movies are and are not star wars movies but anyway that's a whole other right but But that's my point point, is that we We have that sense of it yeah yeah we we all have opinions about what is and isn't a star wars movie and i think in general right like the venn diagram of everybody's opinion there certainly are circles don't perfectly overlap, but there's probably a pretty big middle section there. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's great. And you know, the prequels are on the outside of that circle as we can all agree. Uh, I have opinions on that too. We can, (laughs) Oh, are we We about to have a a prequel war here? (laughs) So we won't sidetrack too much. I actually did a whole episode before, uh, the rise of Skywalker came out with a a buddy of mine sponsor on the show who we'll talk about in a little bit, um, about, about the movies. And I have come from a place of being very anti-prequel where the, the sequels have now made me go like, Oh, I think the prequels might've been better star Wars movies than we give them credit for. Mm. Let me put it this way. I think phantom menace might've been a better star Wars movie than we give it credit for. Sure. All of its flaws. We can totally get into that another time. We can, I, we can, uh, we can sidebar that for sure. But so here's the thing that's, that's interesting about that, right? Like I kind of feel the same way after seeing the new movies. So, right. you know, I do think that that takes it back to the point of like, if you can immerse yourself in the lore that's out there and doesn't mean it, read everything. If you could start now and try to read every forgotten realms novel and, uh, you know, supplement that was published, that would take you a long, long time. Um, yeah. but, but enough that you know the Forgotten Realms, right? Or or the area of the Forgotten Realms that you're writing in because there's so many and it's all very different. So, yeah. Well, and, and I think, too, that's where I think the Star Wars metaphor actually works well there, too, because it's not just it's not just the data of what is the Forgotten Realms, right? It's not just, oh, Waterdeep has to exist and Baldur's Gate has to exist. It's the style and the tone. Because when I look at Phantom Menace, for example, there are... There are uh, cinematography beats that are there. There's some director stuff that you see that Lucas did that is familiar and similar. Just having Coruscant and Jedi and, you know, the dark side isn't what makes a Star Wars movie a Star Wars movie. There's some of the ways the story is told. And same thing in D&D or or world building. It's not just that, uh, you know, dwarves are here and that uh, dragons are these certain colors. It's how that plays out. And so, like you said, immersing yourself in that familiarizes yourself, not just with the content, like the literal facts of, of what exists. It's with the feeling that that evokes and how that story is told that lets you then kind of step into that and, you know, evoke similar feelings, tell the story in the same way. hundred percent. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's also when you think about different role playing games, right? It's like I, I often hear people say you can use D&D to do anything, which I think is true. You can hack D&D to a point where it can tell almost any story. But there are some role playing game sets uh, and and rules that are probably better suited to if you want to tell a, sure. you know, modern pulpy uh, Indiana Jones style adventure. Right. Um, and so or, or a space adventure. And so. It's I think I think you're absolutely right. It's it's sort of the same thing uh, when when we're talking about movies or role playing games or comic books. Right. There's always uh, style and the way you tell the story, which in role playing games is the rules. Right. The way the rules interact with the story is very important. Yeah. And and kind of digging into the game design side of that, that's something uh, Brian Foster and I talked about. He came on um, after Undeadwood came out. And one of the things we talked about was him choosing the Deadlands game system versus D&D, which obviously like critical role plays D&D. And he was like, well, we talked about it, but, you know, it just didn't fit the vibe of what. And I don't know if you watched Undeadwood. Oh, I did. Um, I did. Yeah. 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 It, but he was like, we talked about it, but but it didn't necessarily the game system didn't fit the vibe necessarily of what they wanted to do with the show. And and that's where I think game design becomes so critical because as much as I love D&D, as much as, you know, I could put it in any setting, sometimes certain rule systems just fit. 
they just fit that the felt sense of the setting better than others and, and deadlands i think is a good example of fitting that kind of wild west all or nothing vibe that that you can't quite pull off i think with the 5e rules agreed yeah I, I agree completely right and and it's tailored to do that right it's tailored to tell that very specific story about uh zombies in the wild west <laughs> right yeah it's, it's great stuff um so before before we finish up here i did want to touch again we talked at the top about your podcast and you've done several um and as someone you will be episode i don't know 32 or something of my show um you'll be like my six month anniversary actually i think so congrats oh, wow. or, or maybe Happy a anniversary. week after that i, I don't know Um, but you've been doing this. I mean, tabletop babble, I think has something like 170 episodes or something like that. And like you said, you've done other shows before that. So you've been doing this for a while for, um, people who are interested in starting their own show or just getting started, uh, parentheses, I'm talking about me. Um, what, what have you kind of experienced? What have you seen doing shows that, that you wish maybe you knew when you started? What, what has kind of become kind of old hat for you that maybe when you began, you were like, oh, I didn't even think of doing that. And now you're like, oh, that's, that's, that's how you do a podcast, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so we have talked about, right, uh, before you launch, having some completed right, episodes yeah. in the can is important. And also, you know, the, the idea that perfect is the enemy of done, I think, is, is something really, really important to keep in mind that getting your content out there is better than uh, taking six months to make every single episode because you just won't gain listeners and you'll drive yourself crazy. Um, so, you know, I, I do think that those are two huge things as well as having a schedule, right? Um, which is something I knew I needed early on, but I was too kind of aggressive and erratic with, I think at first, uh, because I was, you know, I was doing two blog posts and one podcast a week. And then I added more podcasts on top of that. And it was like, Whoa, this is, what are you doing? Right. It, it was too much. Um, so I think, uh, I think all of that is very important. The things that I really wish that I had known too, was that, uh, the community itself is super duper approachable. Uh, and it seems like you have already figured this out, Andrew, right? Like you reached out to Brian Foster uh, and got him to come on the show. You know, um, if you're I, interested. I don't think at the time he knew that the show was like five weeks old. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. it's all about putting yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think um, I can't stress enough how important it is to. Uh, yes, you know, like obviously everybody knows, get out there, shout out your show and stuff. Right. But also give to the community. Um, right, and I yeah. think that was a big thing. It took me a while to learn. Like I was, I felt like I was constantly shouting into the ether, uh, which I think is, is hard when you're new, but like getting involved and listening to other podcasts and lifting up those voices right, yeah. as well as, uh, you know, uh, d- promoting your own is a good thing because those people will then say, Hey, this this person's been really great about talking about this thing they genuinely like, the thing that inspired them to create their thing and I'd love that I'm doing that. Let me check it out. Oh, oh wow, this is really cool. Let me promote it, you know? And so that's really it, it's a good way to grow um certainly selfishly, you'll grow your own brand and and that kind of thing, but also it's the whole reason we do this anyway, right? Like you could be making a podcast about I don't know, fantasy baseball, if you wanted to make money, if you wanted to make money, you probably wouldn't do a podcast, right? Let's face it. <laughs> right. uh, um, and so like being part of the community, getting to talk about games is amazing. Getting to meet all exactly. the cool people out yeah. there who are wonderful. Right. Um, and so getting involved in that and, and realizing that if you can give more to the community than you're, you're taking uh, everything uh, the community will support you in a big, big way, uh, which I think is great. Yeah. I, I love your point too, about getting, getting your product out. Um, mm-hmm. because I can't think of, you, you can talk from critical role, you know, the biggest show in the world down to, I don't know, my show, someone show, whatever. Everyone <laughs> reaches that point where they're like, go back and listen to our first episode. It was rough. Everybody, we all like, I can't mm-hmm. think of a single show. That's not true. I can think of one show. Uh, have you, do you listen to Dungeons and Daddies? 
Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so that show is probably the exception just because Freddie Wong has been doing production for two decades now. Right. But, um, but everyone has some, you know, everyone started somewhere. So I'm a big fan of the, the minimum viable product mindset, get something out. You can always iterate. You can always improve. You're going to get better by doing, you're going to get way better by doing than you are thinking about doing it. Um, so that's what I tell people who've, you know, even reached out to me, you're talking about the community. I have people reaching out to me now saying, how, how do I get started? Just do it. Just do it. And it sounds easy. Everybody says it, but seriously, just do it. Yeah. It's, it's huge. It is really, really huge. And like you said, you know, that statistic about the first seven episodes of pod, podcasts and, and failing, I think that's true because I don't, I think people don't realize the work that goes into right, yeah. creating a podcast, right? They think it's, you know, they don't realize the hours of editing and writing show notes and uploading and, and all that kind of stuff that you are going to do after we have this really fun chat. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you mean the episode that I'm supposed to put up in uh, 15 hours that I haven't edited yet. That's what you're talking right, about, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's, that's a big thing is, is making the thing is hard. Uh, and so if you actually sit down and make it, you've got a leg up of over everybody else who says they're going to do it, but won't. And it's the same right. thing in game design. Um, a lot of people think they want to write D and D books, right? Think they want to write adventures, think they want to make tabletop role-playing games, whatever it is. And then when they actually sit down to do it, they go, holy crap, this is a lot of work and there's right, math yeah. involved and there's play testing <laughs> and rewriting and, uh, and it's okay to one, it's okay to sit down and think you want to do something and then say, this isn't for me. I just want sure, to play yeah, these games, absolutely. you know? Um, and, and that's cool, but it does help if you sit down and make the thing, you'd be surprised how many people don't actually make the thing. And just, just the simple act of like, I made this is going to help you get ahead, uh, and, and continue to do it. Yeah. I, I totally absolutely. agree. Yeah. Well, dude, it's, it's been awesome. It's been, it's been really great. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me and chatting about all this stuff. Oh yeah. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. I really, really appreciate it. This was a blast. Uh, and, uh, I want everybody to listen to tabletop babble because I'm going to have Andrew on. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. And any, you know what, you should listen to tabletop babble regardless. Cause it's a really good show, but well, yeah, no, certainly you. I would, I would, it would be an honor to be on. Uh, it would be an honor to have you, sir. So thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And as a reminder, and if you've listened to the show before, you know that our supporters at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion do get access to a special bonus segment at the end of every episode that we like to call the zone of truth for no other reason than it's a cool spell. And so I stole the name, uh, but it's where I talk with my guests for oh, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, just about something they're into, something that they enjoy. And I am very appreciative because that segment is brought to you by my buddy Dave and the team at Smuggler's Coffee. They make some of the most delicious coffee in the universe. Um, I know because I had some today and I just ordered three more bags of beans, um, but they barrel age their coffee. They throw the stuff in rum and brandy and, and whiskey barrels and let the beans soak up all that goodness and taste extra delicious. Plus, they're really big in the community. Their their labels are nerd and D&D themed. They've got uh, a brew hope. If you're a Star Wars fan, <laughs> Tomb of Caffeination is another one that I enjoy. Um, so they're, they're just great. I love the team over there. So go check them out. Store.smugglerscoffee.com. They're a great uh, member of the community. Just doing, just doing awesome stuff. Love those guys. So make sure you check them out if you want some coffee and they are supporters of the Zone of Truth segment. So if you support the show, patreon.com slash rule for persuasion, you have access to that as well. James, what are we going to be talking about? What are you into that uh, maybe outside of D&D, what, what is stuff that you are passionate about as a fan or that you do for fun in quarantine? <laughs> yeah, so I have been revisiting uh, the, so first, the Castlevania television show is something that I have been watching on Netflix. Uh, and I that has caused me to revisit the Castlevania video games. Uh, specifically, I've been playing a lot of Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, so that's what I would love to talk about. You mean the game that I have almost beat like 37 times? Uh, we, we, the game that I've started but never finished. Okay, really? So cool. Really? Yes. yes. And, and we'll talk about why if you uh, listen into the, the backer-only segments. We're going to talk about Castlevania which is awesome because I, I love 
Oh man. Okay. We'll talk about it. I okay. love Castlevania. Okay. I'm excited. I'm excited. Cool. So we, we've talked a bit about everything you're involved in. Uh, where can people find you if they want to interact with you on Twitter or the internet? Where can they check you out? Uh, so yeah, people can find me on Twitter, uh, at James Intracasso, my first name, my last name, uh, and worldbuilderblog.com and don't split the podcast network.com. So that's where I am. Very cool. Well guys, definitely make sure that you check all that out. Big thanks to James for joining us on the show. Um, like I said, if you are a Patreon backer, keep listening cause there is more goodness to come. And uh, as always, make sure that you guys are are hanging out, being nice to each other. I say hanging out. We can't really do that right now. If you're listening to this podcast many years in the future, uh, Google pandemic and and it'll tell you everything that's going on. But I hope that you guys are are taking care of yourselves, being gentle with yourselves and people around you. I appreciate you supporting the show, joining me each and every week to chat about the things that we love. And until next time, guys, enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.